Little by little, we let go of loss, but never of love. I found that quote online. I don't know who wrote it or said it, but it's absolutely beautiful and perfect for this episode of HEAL. Conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Heal. I'm so excited. Hi, Brittany, by the way. Hi. How Hello. are you? I'm doing well. Good. I'm <laughs> so excited because the two ladies that are on this episode, I actually know personally. So I've met them before. Well, you know, I've known most of the people before. Um, <laughs> only a couple of them I hadn't met until we recorded, but I have met Lisa, Lisa Sprague is with us. And Lisa, I met at a a job I had a few years ago where she came in to learn Tai Chi and my meditation class was ending and I, and we chatted and she joined me for meditation maybe the next week, Lisa, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was pretty much right away. (laughs) She hadn't stopped. She just didn't stop coming. Um, She has a great story of loss and I don't know, rebuilding, rebuilding her life after loss that we'll talk about today. And our second guest is Alisa Soldani Silvia. And she also came to my shop for Reiki. I um I think you won a contest. I did. I did. Yeah. I won and I a haven't free- been and she hasn't stopped coming either. I haven't stopped yet. <laughs> I guess I haven't done anything wrong with these two anyways, but who knows? (laughs) Just kidding. But yep, she came for a free Reiki session um, and has come to class and meditation and learning both of both ladies learning Reiki. Um, So welcome ladies. They both have come through hell. Thank you. Again, I tend to have a theme on here, uh, Britt, people who have gone through hell and then kind of find their way out. But that's, Mm -hmm. you know what, what life is all about. And that is a lot of people going through crap and they need different strategies and tools to find their way out. And these two ladies hopefully will, um, their stories may resonate with you and you can contact us if you need further information. So once again, welcome to Lisa and Alisa. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So good to have you both. So. Um, I figured we would just talk a little bit about your background, your story, and then um, after the break, maybe we'll come back and just talk about ways that you have worked through your grief and loss in order to live a fulfilling life, because I personally know both of you, but people who are listening may not know your story. So um, who feels comfortable going first and sharing? I'll go first. <laughs> I Lisa was hoping that Lisa would go first. And yes, just so you know, it is Lisa and Alisa. Alisa. Don't get confused, ladies. So <laughs> Lisa, go ahead. You can start wherever you want to start and you can tell us whatever you want to tell us and what you're comfortable with. Okay. So my name is Lisa Sprague. I am a registered nurse. I've worked in dialysis for almost 30 years now. I'm the mother of three children. Michael, Rachel, and Jake. Um, In 2017, I lost my oldest son, Michael. He was 27 to an overdose. He suffered with substance abuse disorder for about seven years. And, you know, we definitely fought the fight. He had um, good periods of sobriety where, you know, we thought we had it and then he would relapse. and, you know, I would say, Michael, you know, you're gonna, you, do you mean it this time? And, and he would say, Mom, I mean it every time. Yeah. And that's just how powerful the disease is. I mean, it gets to the point where the person may not want to use. Sometimes they do still want to use. But it just, it takes over their lives. Um, and it affects everybody around them. They're for family, friends, and as a mother and a nurse, it's very frustrating to not be able to make it right. I mean, I tell people. 
Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, you said for seven years he had um, suffered with that disease. How involved were you in those seven years? The whole the whole time were you as involved as you would want to be, or? Oh, a hundred percent every day, to the point. Um, in 2013, I actually quit my job um, just to focus on um, getting Michael well again. I actually, I was the one that hit rock bottom financially. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't, it was the first time I ever, ever collected unemployment. You know, I didn't have a good income. I was still paying a mortgage and, you know, my other two children, Rachel was in college. And um, I finally got to the point where I called my ex-husband. I'm like, I'm letting the bank take the house. And I moved back in with him for a little while. And together, you know, we did whatever we could to try to help Michael. So it was a 24-7 for seven years, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you with that question, but I was just curious as to how involved yeah, very involved, very involved. And I have to say, like, Michael was very much, I guess you would say he was a mama's boy, and he was very protective of me. Well, he was the firstborn male in yeah, his family. Yeah, and we had a very, <laughs> very, very close relationship. Um, all my kids. I mean, I enjoyed raising my kids. It was, like, the best time of my life. We had fun. We were close. Um, so... Yeah, it, it, it made sense for me to be there. That was just, it, you know, it just came naturally to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I found out things I didn't want to, you know, and I ended up but in there places. Are so I, many, there are so many people out there who don't have that support who are going through what Michael went through. Yeah. And it just goes to show you how strong, like you said, that disease is that all of the support that you gave him and he had still couldn't fight that. I mean, he exactly. did. He did the best yeah. that he could, and he fought, and he fought. But it does goes to show. I mean, I guess just to give a little bit of empathy toward people who are struggling addicts. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it has such a negative stigma, but they're they're struggling. They are struggling, the and I always yeah. look at it. You know, that's someone's little girl or boy. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I always take you look at it from being a mother and they have mothers too who are suffering with them. Right. So, you know, I try not to judge, No. you know, and, you know, I was very angry after Michael passed. I mean, I mean, the anger, I mean, that's another whole podcast. I mean, we <laughs> could go into what, you know, how I dealt with my anger and, you know, trying to clean up the streets as a super mom kind of thing, I'm going to get every drug dealer out there. So yeah, that part was dark and difficult for me. I can't imagine. How long after yeah. his passing were you considered, did you, would you consider yourself that super mom cleaning up the streets? Um, how, do you, you don't still at, do that. No, absolutely not. No. I mean, um, again, like I said, it was Probably passed December 25th, Christmas Day, mm-hmm. 2016. And probably, you know, at first, you know, I remember saying when we were called to the hospital and I saw him, I looked at my ex-husband and I said, we get angry now. Like it's just all, that was the first on the way to the hospital, I, I was crying. But when I got there and I saw, yeah, I mean, he just looked so peaceful and beautiful. And I said, now we get angry yeah. because it just wasn't fair for someone to take this beautiful child, you right. know? And right. yes, by his own actions, I understand. But, you know, at that point, you're just looking to blame whomever. And right. yeah. Um, and then again, it it would be a long story and I wouldn't want to tell the story without my best friend, Sheila with me, um, about my anger and how, um, she and I almost lost a friendship Mm -hmm. and we have been friends since we were six years old. So, yeah, yeah. 
but and, and um, you're both friendly now. You're friends now. Oh, still a hundred percent. We, I mean, we literally have been through everything together. Mm-hmm. Like in this, you know, everything in our lives, all the joy, the birth of our children, you know, my divorce, the death of our husband. I mean, everything together. And right. this, you know, and this was just another chapter. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we made it through. So. Right, right. I think I'm glad you had, um, well, of course, you have great support around you, but it, I can imagine yeah. that you must feel like you're on an island when something like this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for telling us that story. Um, Elisa, how do you feel about sharing your story? Be able to do that. <laughs> thank you. So I was pregnant with CJ and up till our 18 week um, checkup, everything was fine. He was measuring fine. Everything looked good. And my husband and I went to an appointment and they're like, he's just being stubborn. We can't see the things that we want to see. And we were like, okay, that's fine. You know, no problem. So my mom came with me to my next ultrasound and um, she was looking um, over everything and she wasn't giving a lot of answers and she wasn't talking a lot. And um, the whole mood of the room was was definitely not that of what it had usually been. And she's like, I just can't see all the pieces that we want to of his heart. And um, as a new mom, you're like, oh my God, you know, what what's what's happening? And of course this is supposed to be exciting. My mom is with me and she's all excited and, the, the, uh, the tech went out and came back and she's like, you know, we're going to have to um, have somebody look these over. And it was a Friday and my mom went into mama bear mode and she's like, you can't leave your, you can't leave my daughter without some sort of answer over the weekend. It's a Friday. And at this point I'm now like hysterical because all those what ifs had gone through my head prior to this. And So a doctor came and he's like, well, we can't see all the pieces of the heart that we want to see. It could be a lot of things, but you know, you're going to have to go for a level two. So I initially went for a level two um, locally and um, there were a lot of scenarios thrown into this, um, this, this particular appointment. And they took me into me and Chris, my husband into a room and were basically like, you know, he's, he the, the heart is there, obviously, but we're seeing things that aren't where they're supposed to be. And at that point, they didn't really have any terminology for it. Can I ask um, you a question? Yeah. What's a level two, a level two ultrasound? So a level two ultrasound oh, is okay. when you go in and you really get. <laughs> okay. <full> that's okay. <laughs> I just didn't know work <laughs> um, so they, they, they pulled me into a room and my husband into a room and they started asking us all sorts of questions. And we were just like, I mean, I was hysterically crying because I'm I'm pregnant. I'm a mom who has no idea what's happening. Um, And luckily at that point, you know, we went and had all of our care brought up to Boston. So I was going to Brigham and Women um, to their maternal fetal medicine unit. Um, and I was considered, you know, high risk because we weren't sure really what we were looking at. And then um, CJ, baby to be, was getting his appointments um, at Children's through echocardiograms. And, um, you know, after a lot of, of um, checking, it turned out that he had what was called heterotaxy. Um, it is a one in 10,000 um, heart defect, um, but it's not just a heart defect. Um, it causes a lot of defects. Um, some people very much can live with it. Um, I, I follow support groups um, who have children who are in their teens and twenties. Um, it's not so much that you can't live can't live with it. Um, it's more like he had the most severe. From everything the doctor said to me from that point on, um, was he we've never seen anything like this in, in our time here. Mm-hmm. Um, but heterotaxy is a one in 10,000. Um, we had many doctor's appointments, many, many heart appointments. Um, I had obviously never heard of the word. And of course, the one thing they tell you is don't go home and look it up on. No, women. 
No. And of course, being the person that I am, instantly went home and looked up. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I just, it was like, no, I need to know. Um, But, you know, they give you all sorts of scenarios. And one of them was that he was going to be born and have to be taken immediately to surgery. Um, But what we found with heterotaxy is the type that he had really primarily affected his heart. So his heart, um, heterotaxy is an, it's how you're your organs line up with your heart. His heart was to the right instead of center left. Um, So if you held him, you could actually feel his heart on the right side beating. Um, He had all the pieces of the heart, but they weren't necessarily where they were supposed to be. Wow. So he, you know, the valves were there, um, but they weren't necessarily placed correctly. Um, So he had what's called dextrocardia, he had a small hole in his heart. He had um, stenosis of the aorta. So he had all of these things on top of um, not sure if he had one spleen or multiple spleens or no spleens. Oh my um, gosh. A baby, you need a spleen because it filters out all the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had um, a midline liver. His stomach was more to the right than center. Um, he had malrotation of the um, bowel. So his intestines were kind of free floating in areas. So on top of all the worries that we had about the heart, we would have to keep really close eye um, of his organs. Um, But with all of that, we had a baby boy who was born at 10 pounds, one ounce. Oh my Um, goodness gracious. Was in the NICU at Brigham and women and of course he was 10 pounds and I was in the NICU with all these babies that were like baby baby like small and um you know and and we went through a heck of a process with him um because he was so um his defect is so rare there was a lot of people who wanted to check him out and we were like no this is this is not he's not a guinea pig for you to um to check you know to see Um, but he adapted to his condition and surprised all of his doctors. Um, he came home with us um, a few days after being born. He hit all of his, um, all of his, you know, milestones like he was supposed to and continued to grow. And we knew he, we kept every appointment. They're like, nope, we can push surgery off. We can push surgery off. Um, finally, in um, April of that year, they looked at us and said, this was in 2008. They looked at us and said, um, unfortunately, the good news is, is he's doing great. The bad news is, is he's doing great and we're ready for surgery um, because it was going to be a surgery that had a lot of pieces to fix the heart. Um, you know, we, we knew that we were going to be there for some time. Um, so on June 30th of 2008, my husband and I, with our suitcase packed, moved into moved in essentially to children's hospital right Um, and the surgery initial surgery went fantastic um it was hours long they were able to do what they wanted to do with the heart um we finally saw him he you know it was funny because we had seen him and you know all those little things that we didn't really think about you know there was color now in his fingernails oh that's interesting yeah he wasn't as white he had the rosiness to his cheeks there were all these things um that though he was doing all doing well with this condition and adapting to his condition as a heart parent you just kind of get used to those things Mm -hmm. so when you actually got to see him after surgery and and granted he was sedated and on paralytic um you know he just you know he he looked great Mm -hmm. um the next day he was doing good um, the next day it was okay. We had some minor bumps. Um, and then we had a, um, an emergency surgery the day before 4th of July, where they were like, he's, you know, his, the, the heart's just not doing what we want it to do. And, um, we're like, okay. So at like 11 o'clock that night, the surgeon came in and said, we're going to do this. Um, and it turned out the valve that was, that they had put in his heart was actually like, not performing right yeah um so they got it they they redid everything and it looked great and he was wonderful and we were we thought we were in a good place 
and a few more weeks down the road, um, he he had had some infections. And the one thing that they tell you is the longer you're on an ICU floor, the, the, the more struggle. And because he didn't have a spleen, it was harder for him to fight off infection. Um, so all these minor blips and the longer that we were there, um, we ended up having another emergency surgery. This time his bowel had um, perforated because the pressure of his heart wasn't getting everything, the blood flow to where it needed to be. So the pressure built up. So we ended up having to have that emergency surgery. Um, that was the end of July, beginning of August. And meanwhile, my husband was, you know, traveling back and forth to trying to get to work a little bit, whereas I lived at Children's Hospital. Right. Um, you know, and, and we got to the end of August, right before Labor Day. And they said, you know, though he's had these blips in the road, he's just not, um, he's just not healing the way we would like to. And at this point, we had not seen his eyes open since um, June 30th because they had oh. to keep him comfortable and asleep so that he, um, you know, could heal. Um, he had been put on dialysis because he was, um, because he had been, you know, had all these surgeries, his kidneys were underperforming. Um, he had been put on a lot of hard, a lot of medicines, um, you know, so we never really got to see our baby the way, I, I mean, at this point he was in August, he was 10 months. Um, so we never got to, you know, you, you hope for the best, you sit there and you start to see people come and go. And I think that was really hard was to see people come and go. But there were people that we had become friends with that were kind of going through the same kind of bumps, um, you know, different conditions, but same kind of bumps along the way. Um, and then right before Labor Day, um, we he had fought sepsis once. Um, right before Labor Day of that summer, he took a turn and it was one of those things where they were like, we have to, he's sick. He, we need to do this surgery. He's strong. We think he'll come, but it's, it's, it's tough, you know, because he's been through so much already. And we said, okay, we got to give him a fighting chance. And, you know, we had many, many late night conversations, many daytime conversations with um, doctors and, and all the, the team involved because he had been through infections and, um, you know, cath labs and all these things and um they they did the surgery um my family came up because we weren't sure what we were facing and he came out better than he had gone in um and everything was wonderful and we had like a sigh of relief and it was just like oh my goodness we're finally where we need to be um and then we literally that was on I think on like a Friday um, that Monday, he had started getting leaky. They, they, they called it leaky veins because the tubes and the injections, he just was having a really hard time. Um, and we, we got a call. We had gone out for a cup of coffee and they're like, you know, he's definitely fighting an infection. We're just not sure what. And we were like, another infection, you know, because at this point we had been there since June. It's now the end of August. Um, and when we went in, they said, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we've got a battle here that we have to fight. And we said, okay. And that night we literally held vigil. Like my husband and I, my mom and dad, we had family come up and we literally like took turns sitting in the room with him. And um, I would sing to him and his blood pressure would come down, even though he was on paralytic and, um, you know, and, and he thought we thought he was going to pull through. He did. Oh, he had a really tough night, but we had gotten over the hump. Um, they put him back on the dialysis to try to get him to wean some more fluid off. And we thought we were good. And I'll never forget it because I left to go to the restroom and I came back and the whole room changed. The nurse looked at me and said, we need to have the talk. And I was just like, what talk? And he's like, the talk and I said like I just like I didn't even know at that point what like how to process that so I had to call my mom and dad up who are in North Attebro then it was like my aunt and uncle like the whole family came up um, and we had to make the decision that at this point he just 
wasn't getting better. And we basically had to make the decision that because the medications that he was on um, at this point now were doing more harm than good and the infection had really just wreaked havoc on his body, we had to make the, the decision to turn off um, you know, the breathing and all of that, the breathing tubes and the medicine and the whole family came up and, and we held vigil. And I watched my 10 month old baby take his last breath after 65 days, um, you know, and heterotaxy is a one in 10,000 and nobody knows what causes it. There's no testing for it. Um, you know, it's a word that I don't think I had ever heard prior. And no. You know, now that I've lived it, you hear it a little bit more. And, you know, there are children who survive it and, you know, they have a lot of health battles, but they can live fairly normal lives with, you know, restrictions and exercise and, and different things. Uh, but CJ was 10 months when he passed and, you know, he was a fighter. I mean, he really overcame um, a lot of the battles that came in the hospital in 65 days. And then, you know, we basically just, they brought in a big bed for us to snuggle with them in the bed. And, you know, I just kept remembering saying, it's okay, you, you, you don't have to fight anymore because he wasn't to watch, to watch all the things that you see in an ICU and then to see it happening to your baby. And, you know, he just, he wasn't, he was, he was my CJ, but he wasn't my CJ. And, you know, I don't, looking at it now, I don't know. Uh, because of all the things that he had gone through, I, I don't know, you know, all this time later, what it would have been like afterwards, because he had had so many surgeries um, in that small bit of time, and he would have had to have had several more heart surgeries as he got older, as well as things that had come up that were going to need to be fixed. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, wow, what two unbelievable stories, stories of loss. But now I told you, I know these women, so they didn't stay in that grief for long. Of course, I don't want to speak for both of you. I'm sure you do still have days and moments and times where you are still in that grief. Um, but I would love to talk about the different ways, different strategies, tools, techniques, anything that you started to fill your toolbox with um, to help you sort of move past the anger that you, Lisa, you talked about a little bit. Um, I can only imagine all of the emotions that go through your mind, um, even now, years later, even now, like why, why did this happen? Um, but anyways, I really wanted to focus on different things that you both tried and are still doing. Um, how did you turn that corner? What was the first thing that you did to turn that corner um, to now come into who you are now, what you're doing now? Um, Elisa, since you ended with your story, do you want to start with do you feel sure. comfortable going first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it. I think for, I think for me, I, you know, I took some time, I left my job um, and took some time and um, I decided at that point I was going back to school for human services, um, which, and in that time I took a, cert a certificate class called thanatology. So it was more on the psychology of grieving and death and dying. Um, so I was able, I think, to process my grief a lot through that, that course, um, which was probably one of the most fascinating courses I ever took. Um, and I also at that point found out I was, I was unexpectedly pregnant. Wow. Um, we found out, um, so CJ passed away that September of 08. And we found out in December, a week before Christmas, that we were pregnant with my now almost 11 year old AJ. Um, and you know, we, we were so excited. Of course, I had just signed up to go back to school. So I was that girl with morning sickness going to college every day, um, which, you know, in and of itself was interesting, but I really like put my nose into the book um, through, through being pregnant. And then I had AJ in August and started classes back up in September. So I didn't, I didn't sit 
I mean, I, I definitely think I, um, I worked through the grief and I had good days and I had bad days. Um, I think Anthony coming into our lives the way that he did was, you know, granted we had to go through a lot more doctor's appointments, which I put bet. a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, but he was born healthy, a hundred percent heart healthy. Um, and now he's a crazy, almost 11 year old and he keeps me on my toes. So that has definitely helped. Um, and one of the big things I think through that pregnancy and I've continued, it was people, you know, when they found out I was pregnant, they, they were like, well, what ifs? And I was like, we can't do these. What ifs? Um, I was all about, we're going to do, this is like a negative free zone. You know, I was like, I don't care how this sounds. It's positive in positive out. We are not putting any negative energy into this house, into questions. I'm like, if you have questions, we'll, we're just going to not, we're not going to talk about the heart. Well, you know, you need to have those boundaries. Like you yes, really need to say, this I, is yeah, my choice. I'm my not decision. putting anything yeah. into the universe that negative at that point. And I think from that point on, I really have carried that mantra, if you will, through where it's positive in is positive out. If you put negativity into the universe, if you put it into the universe, you know, I don't need it coming back to me. Um, so I think school definitely helped. Um, I started really focusing um, more on my own mental health, I think. Um, you know, I started at that point exercising, um, but going to school. And then I started, um, I had started with the Reiki, uh, being interested in the Reiki. I had started I always thought I couldn't meditate because my mind is always going a thousand miles a minute. And I think once I really found it, it was probably the best thing for me um, because I could just like, okay, I'm going to quiet those crazy thoughts and I'm just going to think positively. And, you know, and that's not to say that, I mean, even now, um, you know, CJ would be in October would be 13 and it's just, Hey, it's surreal to me to think that it would be 13. I would have a 13 year old. It's also surreal to me to think that all of that happened 12 years ago um, because I feel like I lived a lot of life in a very short amount of time. And, you know, you think growing up, oh, I'm going to be a mom someday and everything's going to be easy peasy, you know, and you see all these things and then you get hit with birth defect, um, you know, birth defect and one in 10,000 and all these things. And you're like, oh my God, like, no. You know, and then you see Facebook and everybody's good and babies and, and you're just like, no, like that's just, you know, bad things happen and you don't know why. And I think once I was able to kind of work through that, uh -oh. um, and I definitely think the meditation has helped. I think Reiki has helped. I yeah. think um, reading a lot and immersing myself in new things has helped AJ. Yeah definitely helped and then I go crafty and you know I make jewelry and I like to draw and I like to paint and you know I find you know my happiest places is going to the beach so I tried to find ways to try to quiet my brain because there are days that I mean it's surreal to me because it was 12 years ago but I can still remember all of it very clearly I can see it all very clearly um, you know, so I think, you know, there are good days and there are still days where you're just like, wow. Yeah. When you think I can't imagine, I can't imagine that going through that and then yeah. coming through the other side after that. I and I think for me personally, like in the beginning, I did have a lot of more, I think I probably hit it a little bit more because I didn't want to make other people sad. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think for me, like it took me, I, I had the roller coaster and then, you know, I still have the like, oh my goodness, he'd be 13. What would he be doing? But I also have gotten over that part where I'm like, okay, you know what? His quality of life, because of all the things that he had gone through, would we have had AJ? Would, what, what would his life have been like? What would our lives have been like? Right. But now I think even over that hump, I can remember though it was only 10 months that I had him before the surgery, I would have taken those 10 months of wonderful over nothing at all. And the adventures that we had and the pictures that I have, at least I can always look back and know in 10 months, we gave, even though he was 10 months, 
we gave him a lot of fun and a lot of things and a lot of love and just and I'm sure he gave that right back to you oh he did he was a he was a snuggle bug on like that's so sweet yeah it's so it's 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 encouraging to hear um you speak about uh, well all of it but and maybe encouraging isn't the right word um, because what I wanted to say was, it's nice to hear that you immersed yourself in, te- in learning different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when you're going through such, uh, such grief and loss, you can't retain anything new. And the fact that you are in the right mindset to be able to, you know, bury your head in a book and learn. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, part, it lended to your healing for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were learning about things that were helping you heal through this yeah. event. Yeah, so that's think- amazing people even like friends and family are like great you're going to school and then you know I went for human services but taking the certificate class in thanatology which was all about the study of death and dying and the psychology of grief and they're like what are you doing and then I ended up going into an internship in hospice and they were just like what how are you even doing this and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like the right healthy thing to do Right. But, it, I, but why not? Why not? Well, that was it. It was kind of like my thing was I had seen the worst, mm-hmm. you know, in, in losing my, my, my infant son. I had seen the people on the cardiac ICU and around me have their own trials and tribulations and, you know, success stories and not so successful. I had seen the worst. And what gave me that the, the, in working with hospice, I got to live I got to, because they were older, you know, we were able to do life review and it was kind of like my Tuesdays with Maury where I could go and I could get those life lessons. So it's like, I had my life lessons through CJ, but I was able to go through with my patients and do life review and have their life, life lessons and to absorb all of that. And just, you know, it was such a, such a rewarding experience I think to take all of that and I can imagine must have helped you though also with your I mean I know I just said this but you haven't you have your life lessons with CJ but really puts it into perspective of just even a little bit more than you were already you were already in such a great mindset and starting to heal from your loss but Mm -hmm. those like I love that you I mean they're called life lessons is that something that they use in that um, yeah yeah like just going like review like going through yeah life review life yep I think it's amazing because you can do that with your son and you mm-hmm. and you do know um that you've given him that you gave him so much and he gave you so much mm-hmm. in the short time he was with you yeah and we all know that he's still around I'm sure he is <laughs> yes he is. he is oh for sure he's you know probably laughing at mom saying Look at you and AJ. Like yeah. Anthony, just a bull in a china closet. He is rearing and ready to go at all times. He keeps me on my toes, but I, you know, he is just, he's just an amazing little boy. So I know that he's got an angel watching over him too. And I think one of the things that I'll never forget that I said before I left the hospital was the people that I had become friendly with who were still there when I left all came out to say goodbye. And they're like, how do you even do this? And I said, you know what? I said, from the very beginning, I always said, I take this one heartbeat, one breath, one step at a time. And to this day, 12, almost 13 years later, I'm still doing that. And it's just, that's just kind of how I, you know, I think that's, that's what I do for anything that I do is, you know what, when I'm ready, like when I'm ready to get my mind to it, that's what I do. It's just like, okay. and, And right, right. That's such that's, a great, that's such a great piece of advice. One heartbeat, one breath, one step yeah. at a time, mm-hmm. you know, thank you so much. You're welcome. Lisa. Thank so you. talking about kids, I'm um, always being around you, Lisa, we know about Michael and his escapades. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's with me. I always say he was a pain in the neck in life and he is in afterlife too <laughs> so we've we've sat through many not I wouldn't say many but several or a few at least you've told me about some psychic readings for Lisa and Michael always comes through as the person helping the person who's doing the readings yeah <laughs> he's such a helper but he's always like hey it's me right yeah hey, look, look how handsome I am I, yeah <laughs> 
the truth. So Lisa, it, tell us a little bit about your, how you, after finding your son on Christmas day. Yeah. You know. um, so the biggest thing was I had to stay strong because I had Jake and Rachel, you know, two other children, as much as part of me was like, I could have just curled up and that would have been it. But I had two other children I had to be strong for. Um, people often tell me at Michael's wake, you know, I held it together because I felt all the grief around me from them, which was so overwhelming. I felt like I had to comfort all of them. And it was almost like I was the hostess, you know, during that time, during all the services. Um, and I just so much wanted to protect my other two children as well. So, but I also knew, and I went, I'm pretty much went back to work within, I mean, it was Christmas day. I was back to work January 2nd. Um, and, you know, we were opening up a new dialysis unit, you know, so I really became, um, I just threw myself into that a hundred percent. How did you feel about that? Did that feel healthy? It did. Was it it too much? Yeah. It it wasn't too much. It really, because I also knew I couldn't just sit at home and get inside my head. And, you know, I I felt at that point, it wouldn't have been a good place. So the the May after Michael passed, um, Rachel and I went, we're at an opening. It was uplifting too, when they opened. And um, Maureen Hancock was there, mm-hmm. gave me a great, I, I had seen her before years prior and she was pretty spot on. And, you know, that get, gives you comfort to know that you're loved. And I would find signs and different things. So the Zen Loft had an open house and I walked in because I thought at that point, I'm like, I'm going to do Tai Chi again. I think that's going to help me. And I met Elizabeth and, <laughs> and Elijah wasn't doing Tai Chi there anymore. So, um, you know, you told me about meditation and then I walked over to the other side over by the door and I see this young kid standing there. Who really who, does look like Michael a little bit. Who look, really does look like Michael. It was Matt and he was the resident medium there at the time. And he was lean. I'll just never forget. You know, those silhouettes those cutouts of the cowboys people having that's how he was standing against the wall okay but he had you know a fitted hat instead of a cowboy hat and I walked over and he said you're Lisa Sprague so me I can be somewhat obnoxious I'm like oh you know me like who am I right (laughs) (laughs) and um he said you have a son and I said, yes. He goes, because when you walked in, I heard that's my mom. And the way he said mom was just like Michael would say mom. And he proceeded to tell me about Michael being around me and that Michael was very happy that I came there today because that was the place for me to be. And he's also validated that it was Michael. He had told me things that, you know, no one would know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that Michael was very happy that I was there because that's the place I needed to be. Right. And again, you haven't left. <laughs> and I have not left. So well, there's I started, been a lot of healing for you there. I mean, I, was total, I know I joke I and giggle, so but much you know, there, you, you know, find, Elizabeth. No, I not mean, to me. You know, nope, I owe so much to you. I mean, you were so inspiring every, I don't know, every time we had a conversation, it was just like, oh my God, like I, Yeah, I started doing the Sunday morning meditation. The people I've met, you know, just so many wonderful people. And a lot of us found ourselves there maybe because we were a little bit broken. So we had that in common too. And kind of helped each other through the process of grieving or just going through whatever it was we were dealing with. And as a side note, I don't know if you remember this. You probably will because you were there most Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, every time that there was someone on this side of the room, on one side of the room, and we started chatting, there was someone on this side of the room be like, 
like a, they'd make a connection somehow. make a total connection every, a total connection every sunday someone was there and it's like well you're here so you could hear this story and that person because it was just crazy don't you, do you it, remember yeah. that yeah yeah i do remember that and so then i started taking the booty classes booty yoga class and um it pound and just you know all those women too that i met that were such great support because I knew I needed to take care of myself and get started. Right. right. Um, it's funny because when we lose people and we're grieving, people want to feed us. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I gained like 20 pounds, you know, so yes. then I started feeling healthier and you're exercising and, you know, those endorphins start secreting. And I just, you know, I felt happy and it gave me the strength to be strong for my other children and to know that, yeah, it's okay for me to be happy and enjoy things in life again. Mm -hmm. and, um, and still having, you know, being part of the Zen Loft, having that connection with Michael, you know? And um, I mean, I, then I learning Reiki, you know, that that is how being able to heal someone else I, through, from, my perspective helps me heal myself as well. I agree. And that's actually exactly what Reiki does. It's exactly, yeah. you yeah. know, just by giving it, you get it and it helps to heal you as well. Yeah. And it's just been, you know, it's been what five years and it's an amazing, amazing journey. Five years, five years. Wow. Five years. Yes. And, um, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful to you and all the people that I've met along the way that have helped me through this. And yes, you know, family and friends, I, I had good support that way too. Um, and I still, I mean, you do, you have good days and bad days, right? You know, Michael's birthday is June 29th. Yeah. So this is kind of a great way to say happy birthday to Michael, because every year I do try to do something, whether it's a fundraiser or something in his name. Yeah. Because um, he was just loved by so many people. And today, actually, I went back onto his Facebook page, reading some messages from friends and things. And, um, you know, he was just a, a good kid. And his memory, he's forever in everyone's heart. Right. You know, and knowing that he was loved so much and all the support that I have around me, um, that helps me. But I also believe that, you know, people come and go in your life and they come in, serve their purpose and then either move on or something happens. And not to get into things prior to my pregnancy with Michael, but in a way, Michael saved me. I always really say that did. about Brittany. She definitely did. Yeah. He saved me. And I think, you know, he left this earth when his mission, his goal, you know, his, yeah. his purpose yeah. was done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I do believe that. Um, and then, you know, it's in, it's nice to know he's around because as a mom, I, an Italian mom, I play the guilt card with him. I'm like, <laughs> All right, Mike, you owe me. So can you please, you know, watch over this person or do what you can for this one? Because <laughs> you owe me one, you know. That's great. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm in a good place now, which is, you know. I feel like you're both in such a great place. And it's, it's, it's amazing and super inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, I think to anyone listening to know that after you've gone through something so terrible, there's, there's light, you know, there's, there is. yeah. Once you turn that corner, but you, you know, it's, it, you have to find it in yourself or to find someone else to help you to get there. So you need to mm -hmm. make sure you do though. I don't know. I just feel, I feel like these ladies, they, they told us their story. Um, I'm hoping that if anyone is going through something, mm -hmm even remotely familiar, you can definitely reach out. I know Lisa wouldn't mind talking with anyone about what she's gone through. And I see Elisa is saying Absolutely. yes. And I'm sure Elisa would um, feel, I mean, I, I, I would connect you with them if that's something that you need to do. Um, but there are people out there who have gone through hell again, 
this is the theme of our show, Britt, and <laughs> have found ways um, to, and again, it's not to heal us because we're not broken um, in the sense that there's something wrong with us. Yes, Lisa, I agree with you. In that Sunday class, we were all, like we all had something that we all need to work on. And it was so nice to have that group and community there every Sunday. Um, but when I say heal, I don't mean like forever healed and we're great and we're going to just go on and everything's great. It's more like coping with loss, coping with what we're going through, learning strategies to help us get that positive attitude that Elisa talked about. Um, because again, what you put out there, she's so right, is what comes <laughs> back. Absolutely. So just ask, ask Ed, right, Britt? Yeah. <laughs> Ed, our law of attraction guy. Um, <laughs> So I, I want to thank you both so much for just putting yourself out there again um, on this podcast. Um, I'm sure Brittany appreciates it yeah, as well. I absolutely course, do, yeah. I talk too much. So Britt, do you have <laughs> any questions for the ladies? No, I think, I, I don't think I have any, but I did just want to say that it's, you know, very brave and vulnerable for both of you to come on and share your story. Um, and we really appreciate it. So I'm so glad that, you know, this horrible thing that have, that has happened um, can still kind of teach you some lessons. And, you know, it seems like you both are in wonderful, you know, parts of your life. And I, I love that um, that light didn't go out, you know, so thank you. Oh, Britt, you're gonna make me cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm so proud of my child. <laughs> you should be, as you should be. <laughs> I don't know where she came from. Um, <laughs> So we actually end the podcast by asking our guests three questions. So I'm going to go one question and one at a time. So you don't have, so if I go to Lisa first, Elisa's is going to be able to study up and I don't want her to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to Lisa first, but um, I'm only going to ask her one question and then I'll ask Elisa the same question. Are you guys ready? Ready. Yes. Okay. Lisa. <clears throat> When you're at your most peaceful state of mind, most relaxed, calm, all of that, what are you doing? What makes you most your most happiest and peaceful? My most happiest and peaceful, well, it would be being at the beach, being with family. Um, and also during meditation or, you know, at the end of my classes, you know, well, booty class, we end up in Shavasana and nice. just, you know, and we meditate and I see my colors and yeah, yeah um, that's very, very peaceful. Thank for you. Me. Thank you. Yeah. Lisa, what are you doing when you're at your most peaceful, peaceful, not peaceful, because that's not a word. <laughs> Um, I think, well, I think like Lisa, definitely at the beach. Yeah. Uh, so we, it's I so love, funny. I think so many people get so much from the ocean. Yeah. The sand. And it's, it's, it's very healing. It is it's very healing. And I think it's great because my whole family likes the beach. So it tends to be family encompassed, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm Italian too. So it's all about <laughs> being immersed with the family and, and being around family. But I think, you know, beach and family, but I also think um, meditation is definitely when I feel at peace or kind of getting lost in my creativity, whether it's writing or drawing or making jewelry, just kind of putting on the music and just getting lost within that. Creativity is so important. Everyone should create something daily. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be art. It doesn't have to be, you know, jewelry. It can be journaling. It can be anything, creating Cooking. something every day. What'd you say? Cooking. Yeah. Creating a meal. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Gardening, gardening, planting, I mean, anything, just it's creation. And I think mm -hmm. we all kind of live to create. Yeah. That's awesome. definitely got me through some tough times for sure. I know you should show everyone all your paintings when we're done on this. Uh, <laughs> seriously. You should I, show everyone. I just started all. a new one. Yeah. Brittany does I'm paint by numbers. I'm obsessed with the paint by numbers. I, I literally, it's the only thing I think about from that's okay all right so are you ready for the next question yes okay um I love doing this because it gives people ideas you know if they're like oh I've never been to the beach first of all I'd be like what um, <laughs> but then maybe they'll go to the beach okay 
Um, your favorite book. I, I usually ask like self-help book, but if it, if your favorite book is not a self-help book, that's okay. You can plug another book. What do you think, Lisa? Do you have a favorite book? Oh, do I have a favorite book? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a, actually, it wasn't my, my most favorite book. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey, right? No, it's okay, not good. a self-help book. It's not that which I guess kind Fifty of a podcast. Shades could be a self-help book, but <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> um, my favorite book is not a self-help. It, Tuesdays with Maury is one of my favorite mm -hmm. books. Oh, look at that. Absolutely <laughs> love. When she said that, I could so relate, but also, and I can't think of the name of it, and I know I have it around. It? Is that, are you looking for it? Yeah, I'm looking for it. We'll get back to Lisa. Lisa, look for it. We'll ask Elisa. What's your favorite self-help book or, uh, or book book? I, um, oh goodness. So I read a lot of books. And yes, I'm you obsessed. do. You do. I'm obsessed You've got with piles. Writing. I have piles. Like literally we'll go and buy books, even though I have a pile of books to read. <laughs> um, it, but my goal this summer is to actually work through some of those piles. So there's that. Um, I think my favorite um, self-help book, oh my goodness, would probably be, I read a lot of um, like Deepak Chopra. I really like him a lot. I can't yeah. pick just one, but I really do like a lot of um, Deepak Chopra. I like, um, after CJ passed, I read um, a book and I can't even remember the name of it off the top of my head because it's been so long but it was about a little boy who passed away, but came back and he kind of recited all of these things that happened to him when he had passed away, even though he came back um, and, and kind of had these very real experiences between here and, and heaven. And I is think- it a, Is it based time, on a- Yes, it's a true story. based on a true story. And it's one of those things that having lost a child, I can only hope um that it was as beautiful and peaceful and serene as this little five-year-old boy depicted it because I think at that point that helped me a lot with CJ I think um, that it is that serene yes I, I yes absolutely and then as far as like my favorite book I read so many different books I honestly can't pick pick just one but yes um, yeah. I would have to work to probably at least six of my piles to um <laughs> So we'll get back to you too. Yeah, get back a few to more months. Months. <laughs> months. I know I'm going through my piles and I'm like, oh, I love this one too. <laughs> so but, did you find it, Lisa? Yes. It's by it's I knew it was Dan Millman. It's Everyday Enlightenment by um Enlightenment by Dan Millman. And of course the oh. four agreements, which <gasps> is great. That's my favorite. That's what everybody yeah. That's what everybody says. Well, Brittany, I did buy it for you years ago. I wonder if you read it yet. <laughs> Oh, so well. no, silence means no. It's <laughs> okay. I can't force it on you. You have to be ready. Mm -hmm. Brittany, what's your favorite book? <laughs> My favorite book? Um, it's a book that I read in high school. It was very transformative for me called mm -hmm. No One Belongs Here More Than You. And it's a collection of short stories by Miranda July. Nice. And what are you good. and what what are you doing when you're at your most peaceful, Brittany? No one ever asks us this question, so I figured I'd ask. <laughs> um, when I'm at my most peaceful, it's usually when I'm doing some sort talking of talking to my mother. What? <laughs> uh, but I also I did in, you say know talking to my mother? Yes, I did say that. <laughs> Sorry, you could talk. I. I'm, well, uh, <laughs> No, I also do have a lot of peace at the beach, especially at night. Um, I love it going in the summertime um, to the beach and just like sitting and listening to the waves and um, and sunset too. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. And I live in Rhode Island and I love the beaches in Rhode Island. I think they're gorgeous um, and the water's always nice and warm and the sunsets are incredible. So nice. I'm kind of just copying everybody else, but I do oh. really love the beach. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. You ready, ladies? Last question. Lisa, if money was not an object at all, what would you be doing with yourself? Well, 
the joke is I would be a fairy godmother and work at Disney. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's kind of a little joke between Rachel and I. But if money was no object, I would want to, and I thought of this often, I would love to build some sort of um, sober living type house. Um, and if I could just restructure the system a little bit with how we handle addiction and the aftercare, um, I think we would see some more, more success stories. Yeah. I think at least what I, with my experience with my son is that, you know, the first step, the detox step, it's a revolving door, but there's not a lot of, lot of support for aftercare. And that's what they need. Right. Um, and I think we need to treat, you know, yes, you can treat the addiction and the detox and withdrawal symptoms, but we're not treating the cause because most people with substance abuse disorder have some sort of underlying, whether it's anxiety, depression, there's something most people are self-medicating for some reason. Right. And I think that you know, if I could just rebuild the system so that we're treating the cause and have the aftercare rather than just treating the system, that's I what that. I do. I would help yeah. you with that. Yeah, seriously. Thanks. Um, when, what you about did, you? What? when you did that meditation class that time, um, we should do that? that again. That was wonderful. Yeah. We should try that again. All right. We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> Elisa, money, no object. Ooh, she's been thinking. I have. Um, oh, I mean, no. <laughs> I literally have a bucket list of things that I would love to do if money was no object. What's your biggest thing? Um, travel. Honestly, just go to places. I have several places I would that are on my top like three bucket list that I would want to go. Um, and I think I would want to just keep going with my creativity. And if I could help even one mom with heterotaxy and do all and getting through all the things, whether it be through writing my story or blogging my story or, you know, just helping parents who have gone through similar situations, I think that would be. Can I tell uh, you something? Can I tell you a secret? You can. You can do that right now. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I know. Well, you are doing it right now on the podcast. But you can blog and you can write and you can yes. write a book and you can do all that stuff right yes. now. I know. And money those, is- Those are my and, bucket list. Those are my bucket hey list. Hey man, I can help you start that stuff. I would love that. We'll I talk. would love to do that. Let's chat. Okay. Have your people contact my people. <laughs> okay. My people is Mary Allison. <laughs> you know her. You can call I her. I do. Yeah. She's my people. All right, ladies, it was such a pleasure. Again, pleasure. like Brittany said, thank you for putting yourselves out there, being vulnerable, um, because in vulnerability, we show our strength. We are very courageous in sharing your story. And I appreciate you both so very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Remember, if you, the, these stories resonate with you, if you connected to any part of these stories and you would like to talk more with either Elisa or Lisa, you can contact me or Britt at talk to heal podcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So Thank much. you so much. Go ahead, Britt. I'm sorry. It was really amazing to talk with you today. So thank you very much. And thank you for all the work that you continue to do. You're obviously both helping, you know, people in some small ways or large ways. Um, so keep at it. It's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and we will be back one last time to end the show. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of HEAL. If you'd like to reach out to any of our guests or to me or Britt, please feel free to do so. Email us at talktoheelpodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking forward to hearing your comments, your questions, uh, thoughts, anything that you have on any of our subjects. And if you're someone who would like to share your story, please reach out, talk to heal podcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease.
Goodbye from Brit and goodbye from me. Bye.